All right, uh, now that I've got your attention, if you would find Ephesians chapter four in your Bibles, that's step one. Step two, while you're finding Ephesians four, there's a roll sheet on your table. Go ahead and fill that out. All right, and then step three, while you're finding Ephesians four and writing down your name on the roll sheet, if you are not facing me in your chair, if you could turn and face me in your chair, that would be awesome. Awesome. So find Ephesians chapter four, get situated to where you can see me really clearly and I can see you. That's just a big help. Sometimes it's hard to teach to the back of heads. Um, so you're helping me out big time. And I think I'm helping you out too. Um, so yeah, Ephesians chapter four. Uh, again, for the public record, I want to say thanks to Chris Duck for filling in last week. He did a great job talking about the prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, and he really set us up to move into a major shift in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So if you've been here this semester, you've noticed that week after week as we've gone through Ephesians, Paul has been largely indicative in what he's saying. In other words, he's indicating things. He's indicating truth, truth about God, truth about the gospel, and truth about those who have been saved by grace. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, we make this shift, starting now to the end of the letter, where we move from indicatives, or what is true, to imperatives, which is what ought to be done, right? Now that we know what's true about God and his gospel, how are we then to respond? How are we then to live? So these imperatives, these commands, flow from who we are in Christ, these commands are not to make us someone in Christ, but they flow from who we are and how to live. The language that Paul's going to use, starting in this passage and throughout the rest of the letter, is the idea of walking, right? Walking, moving forward, moving together. So the title of our message this morning is Walking in Unity. Paul thinks that it is very, very important. So we should think that it's very, very important that we as the church, knowing who we are in Christ, walk together in unity. This movement, though, this walking is rooted in something, and that something is actually a someone. It's rooted in Christ. It's rooted in Jesus's work and that walking is not just rooted in Christ, but it's moving towards Christ. Or another word uh, to, for us to, to think about this morning is it's moving us towards maturity. It's moving us towards maturity. So God has given each of us in this room each other. Like he's given every one of you, every other person in this room for a purpose. He's given us to each other in this youth ministry and in this church, partly so that we might walk together in unity. It's not that so that you can walk your own way and this person walks their own way and that girl walks her own way. No, we're, we're here together so that we might walk together in unity. Our life together and our walking together is going to teach something. It's going to display something to the world and to each other about God and his gospel. So let's read and dive in to see what's in store for us. Let's start in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let's stop there and pray before we go any further. Oh God in heaven, I I pray that you might give me the words to speak this morning. Lord, we know that the power comes from you and it is found in your word. So Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you might help me to speak and to teach, to encourage and exhort all according to your good word. Lord, we want to know you, we want to love you, we want to follow you, and your word tells us that we will do that best when we do that together. So Lord, I pray for the unity of our youth ministry, the unity of our church. Would you help us to see how we can contribute to the unity of our church? Lord, would you expose in our hearts ways that we have sought to to hurt the, the unity of our church? How we've been factious and divisive? Would you expose those things so that they might be put to death and given over to you. Lord, help me again to teach with clarity and authority all according to your word and your grace and your power. Help us more and more love and follow the Lord Jesus today. We ask in Christ's name, amen. So the big idea this morning, we start off with the title of the message. Number one, walking in unity. This is what Paul is starting this transition with. Remember, we've gone from the indicatives of the gospel to now the imperatives. Now that we know what it is, how should we then live? And he kicks off this section with a command. He urges the Ephesians and us to walk, but not just to walk, but to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Again, our walking is not based on what Our walking is based on what God has done. So our walking is not earning salvation, but our lives, our walk bears out the fruit of a heart that has been changed by the grace of God. So how do we walk in a worthy manner? What does that look like practically? Well, Paul gives us some some big ideas, some guardrails for us to walk in between. First, he says, we walk with all humility. Verse two, all humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, C.S. Lewis tells us. It's thinking of yourself less. So so humility is not, uh, I'm just a terrible person and I'm self-deprecating and everything I do is terrible. It's It's not introspective grief. It's not making yourself inferior. It's not thinking that you're less than. No, you're an image bearer. You're made in God's image. You've been saved by the Lord Jesus. You have incredible value. That's not humility. Humility is I'm considering the people around me more important than myself. I'm considering my life to be oriented around how I can love and serve and encourage others more than I can try to get for me. 
So, so when I live out my days, when I walk in this church or out at school or on my sports team, my controlling desire is not, how can I get the most ahead? How can I be better than everybody else? How can I be seen as this or that? No, it's how can God use me to encourage and equip, to motivate, to pray for, to love, to serve, to care for the people around me? Because the people around me and the people around you are not there by accident. Remember, God has put you in a place. He's put you in a church. He's put you in a youth ministry. The people in here are not random. They are here so that you might grow in humility. And we know that humility is not easy. It's not natural for us to be humble. It's natural for us to try to get, get, get. We want to try to hoard honor and hoard glory and hoard opportunity for ourselves. So we need the grace of Christ for us to walk in humility. And we need each other to be reminded that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling when we walk in humility. Second, he says, we walk with all gentleness. So it's not just that I consider you more important than myself. It's not that I just uh, encourage you to walk around and see how you might serve and love one another and do this with humility, but you do it with gentleness, right? I was joking with a parent earlier. They'd said something about something that their kid said, and I, I jokingly said, well, listen, your kid doesn't know what he needs, right? Like, you, if you asked my son, uh, like, what does he want for lunch? Every day, he's going to be like, pizza. Well, if you eat pizza every day, like, ultimately, that's going to be, like, not super healthy, right? But he thinks, oh, yeah, pizza. Or, like, hey, you want some cookies? He's never going to be like, no, nah, I'm good. He's going to be like, I want, I want all the cookies that you will give me, and then more than what you give me, and I will tell you, right? Like, he wants what he wants, but he doesn't know what he needs, right? Now, I could be not gentle and be like, Abe, you idiot. You're two. You don't know what you need. Listen to dad, right? Like, <laughs> that would not be gentle, right? That's not teaching him to start to think, no, actually, those are some things that I might want in moderation, but they're not things that I, I'm not going to live off of those things, right? So I can approach that gently and say, hey, you, buddy, we had pizza yesterday. Like, maybe we'll have pizza in the future, but today we're going to have, like, I don't know, meatballs and veggies or something. Like, we're going to have something different today, bud. Or, hey, we had a brownies last night. Like, tonight we're just going to have, like, I don't know, what about strawberries? Like, you think strawberries are good? Like, I can be gentle. And the same way as you and I walk with one another in humility, there's going to come a time where there's friction, between how you want to live and how the people around you want to live. Because ultimately, our weaknesses are going to start to be exposed. It's hard to be humble. It's hard to be faithful. And often, we're going to be exposed to the fact that we're weak and we're needy. And so what we need is gentleness. We need our brothers and sisters around us to look at us with love and care and humility and to come alongside us with gentleness. We need to be gentle to those who come alongside us. It's not win-lose, right? When I'm trying to be faithful and the person around me is not being faithful, gentleness is going to temper my desire for the truth to reign, for love to reign. And it's going to keep me from provoking my brother or sister to anger by discouraging them, by cutting them, gentleness is going to temper my walk so that we might continue to walk in unity. So then when I do have to confront 
somebody, when you do have to have a hard conversation, gentleness is the reminder, hey, we're still walking in the same direction. We're still walking in unity. We're not, we're not at odds with one another trying to go one way and the opposite way. No, no, no. We're going the same direction, but we need to, we need to course correct a little bit. All of you, as we'll talk about in just a minute, are ministers of this gospel. So all of you have the capacity to walk with one another with gentleness alongside your humility. Third, we do it with patience. Because sometimes, sometimes people around you don't listen. And sometimes people around you say the the wrong thing. And sometimes you say the wrong thing and you do the wrong thing and you cut with your words rather than heal. You discourage with your actions rather than encourage. You are impatient with people rather than patient. So we need to be reminded that walking in unity requires patience. Patience is not patience until it is tested. So when you feel like you just want to cut somebody down or walk away from somebody because they just get on your nerves, what's being tested in that moment is your self-control and your patience. And if I've committed to walk alongside you and you've committed to walk alongside me, then there's an underlying commitment. Hey, we're not going anywhere. Like, I'm not leaving you. You're not leaving me. So what do I need to stay with you? I need patience. I need patience. You need patience. And for us to pray and ask God for these things, because we all need to pray and ask God for these things, because these things are not natural to us. What we are confessing is that, Lord, I am not humble. I am not gentle. I'm not patient. But Lord, you are. Jesus is humble. He is gentle and lowly in heart. He is patient with those who do not deserve patience. So God, I need you to give me all that I need by your spirit to walk as Jesus walked because that's what's going to lead to unity. That's what's going to lead to health. And as we embody these attitudes and commitments, we bear with one another in love. Ah, so that's going to be the thing that keeps us patient. That's going to be the thing that keeps us gentle. That's going to be the thing that keeps us humble. How do we do that? We're bearing with one another in love. Now, here's going to be the question that you're going to have to ask yourself. Do I love these people? Like, do I really love the people in this room? If the answer is yes, then it is going to affect everything you say and everything that you do and everything that you think when it comes to that person. If the answer is no, I don't love that person. It is going to affect everything that you say and everything that you do and everything that you think in regards to that person. Now, obviously, we all know that there's a right answer to this question. If I am a believer, you are a believer, we've committed to one another before God and man that we are going to walk together in unity. And if I don't have the honesty to say, hey, today, I just don't feel like loving this person today. I don't love this person. Well, you're in luck because all of us want to love ourselves more than the people around us. And if we can't be honest about that, then we can't be honest about moving forward in unity. But here's the thing that we may not consider. Love, in this instance, is a commitment and a choice. 
It's not a feeling. It's not magic. It's dedication to stick to this commitment that I am going to be for that person's good no matter what. Now let's just put our cards on the table. All of us fall short here. All of us fall short here with the people in this room. All of us have failed to love and have not been loved in this room. So what do we do? We ask God for mercy. If we've wronged someone, we go and seek to make that right. There's there's a, a text in Matthew where Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So if somebody's wronged you, if you felt unloved or discouraged or cut down, you go to that person, Jesus says. And begin the process of reconciliation. But also he says, hey, if you're going to go offer your gift to the altar and then you realize that your brother has something against you, you need to leave your gift on the altar and go reconcile with your brother before you make that offering. So if you've done something, you're like, man, I know that that person's upset with me. I know that that person is discouraged by what I did. I can imagine that my words were cutting and not helpful. You have a responsibility to go to that person and say, brother, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I handled that situation that way. I, I'm sorry that I said those words that were so unkind to you. No matter what you did, your actions don't control whether or not I sin. And I sinned against you, brother, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Can you imagine just like what would happen if we started to think that that kind of life was normal. Because here's the deal. We all will fail. It's not this like hypothetical, oh man, I really hope that I don't say anything discouraging to somebody in the next year. You will. Man, I really hope that I, I seek to model humility and, and count others more important than myself. You won't. You won't. Because we all fall short. We all have this old man within us who is going to be wounded and is going to wound. That's why we need humility. That's why we need gentleness. That's why we need patience. That's why we commit to bear with one another in love. And as we do those things, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, Paul says, is maintained. The church, this side of heaven, is not going to be perfect. It's not going to be filled with sinless people, but it can be filled with people who commit to each other. We're going to walk together. We're going to get bumps and bruises along the way. We're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to do the wrong thing. You're going to say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing to me. But we've made this commitment that we're going to move forward together. So when you feel disrespected, or you say something you don't actually mean, or you feel hurt, or you hurt somebody, we forgive because we've been forgiven. We're humble, fighting against a pride that wants to defend ourselves or get ahead at someone else's expense. We commit to be gentle with one another, both in what we say and in how we say it. And we remember day after day that it's all rooted in love because a covenant commitment has been made. A commitment that we need to be reminded of. And just quickly, I know we're, I've spent a long time on this section. It's for a purpose. 
Paul says that the, when the, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace is maintained, what does he move to? What, is it, what does that show us? Verse four, seven things. Very quickly, there is one body. When we commit to walk in this way, the world sees and we are reminded that there is one body, not the public school body and the homeschool body. You with me? Not the uh, well-to-do families body and the less well-off body. Not the high school body and the junior high body. When we commit to do this together, there is one body. And we tell the world that and we remind one another that. Because there's one spirit, Paul says, we have the same spirit dwelling in us who empowers us and gifts us and encourages us and leads us to one hope. If we're walking together in Christ, then our hope is the same because we're walking towards the same destination. And we walk together under the authority of one Lord. We are all servants of Jesus. And we have one faith. And right here in this passage, it's most likely not the faith as in like our Christian faith, but it's most likely the act of believing the gospel. So how did you get into this path of walking in unity? The same way I did, by believing in the gospel, by putting my faith in Christ. You didn't get there any other way. You didn't get to cut in line. You didn't have to wait longer. We all come in through one faith and one baptism, most likely the baptism of regeneration. This is what Ezekiel talks about in the the prophecies of Ezekiel when he says that the spirit is going to come, that he'll cleanse our hearts with water, that he'll take our hearts of stone out and put in a heart of flesh. That washing of regeneration, that removal of our sin. All because there is one God and Father. We are all his children. And he is God over all. So when we walk in unity, it displays to the world what is true about God, what is true about the gospel, what is true about how we might be saved. Our unity is a reminder of these things to one another. We're forgetful. We need to be reminded. But Paul wants us to keep remembering that our ability to actually walk is itself a gift. So let's keep reading. These last two sections will be much quicker, I pray. Um, Lord can do what he wants. Verse 7. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, who, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying, he ascended. What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, this is kind of an aside in Paul's message, but the point, you're taking notes, number two, is that our walking is rooted in Christ. It's rooted in Christ. This son of God descended from heaven. It's a reference and a paraphrase of Psalm 68. That's why it's kind of bracketed out probably in your Bibles. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. The Son of God put on flesh and dwelled among us. He descended from heaven to earth and even into the lower regions. He descended all the way into the grave, we confess. So if you, a year and a half ago or so, we went through the Apostles' Creed. And if you were with us in equipping groups on Wednesday nights, we read and studied about that phrase that we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ descended to the dead. He went 
to the grave for us. And in his death, he conquered death. In his death, he had victory over sin. Without going into a ton of detail this morning, those captives in verse 8 that he led to heaven are those believers who were awaiting his victory over death. He proclaimed that victory to them and then led them to heaven with him. So he, Jesus, the God-man, has all authority as both God and man because he was faithful. He was obedient. He was perfect. He received the blessings of God. And now by grace, he gives you and me those blessings. So we have to remember that all that we've talked about up to this point, our walking in unity is walking by faith. And it is the result, the product of what Christ has accomplished. It's all of grace. Which means when we struggle to walk in unity, we should not feel embarrassed or shame to run to Jesus and ask that he might supply us for what we need. We know that we're needy. He knows that we're needy. It's why he saved us by his grace. We don't go to Jesus with needs and he goes, man, these guys are mooching. He's not stingy. It's like, man, I already gave this guy this and this and this. Now he wants this. Jesus has never had that thought towards you. He actually invites you to come and bring your anxieties and your cares and your needs and your wants and your hurts and your hopes and your sorrows to him. So with that little reminder, we now turn to where we are walking. Where are we moving? And that's maturity. Look at verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when, it, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we're moving to maturity. Third point, we're moving to maturity. That's where we're headed as we walk in unity together. And we may wonder where we can go for help because God knows we need help. We need people in our lives to explain what this is, to guide how we might walk, to encourage when we feel discouraged and more. Now, obviously, in one sense, you have been given to each other for this purpose, but there are leaders and servants in the church listed here that have been given for this purpose. So just very quick, apostles, he says, the church has been given apostles. That's like Paul, right? These are the apostles of Christ on whom the foundation of the church is laid. They are not here today. So if you meet somebody or you go go to a church or you find somebody who's a friend of yours and you ask them what church they go to and they say that their teacher, their pastor, their whatever is an apostle, you should be very scared. I mean, not like scared, concerned. That's a better word. You should be very concerned if somebody claims to be an apostle, Because the apostles are gone. 
The word of God has been written. The foundation of the church has been built. There's no more need for apostles. That's a unique authority in the life and the history of the church. Next, he says, prophets. These are those who speak God's word to the early church. And we now have the word in written form. The canon is closed. And so we don't have time to get into a discussion about whether or not the gift of prophecy still exists today or not. But the office of prophet that's, that's mentioned here has been completed because the scriptures have been completed, right? So that's, those are distinct questions. So again, if somebody comes up to you and says, I am a prophet of God, I'd be like, really? Is your name Micah or Jeremiah? I wouldn't be that. That would be not funny. That would be unkind. But if somebody says to you that they're a prophet of God, if somebody tries to assert authority by claiming that they have some kind of prophetic authority, be very concerned. Next, evangelists. These are gospel proclaimers, those who go and share with those who have not repented and believed. And obviously, all of us in one sense have been given the task of evangelism. But we all know that there are some people who've been given a specific gift to go and make disciples of all nations, and they are unusually effective at doing that. And pastors and teachers, those who proclaim the word to the body of Christ, what is their job? So all of these people in the life of the church, what is their job? What is my job as a pastor at Lakeview Baptist Church? It is to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry. So my job, in a sense, is to equip you to be ministers to one another, to your families, to your classes, to your sports teams, to your fellow employees, and more. So as I equip and as you minister, the body is being built up. It's growing. It's growing. It's growing until, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So where are we moving? We're moving to a unity of faith. We're moving to the knowledge of the Son of God. Not just the knowledge of I know facts about Jesus, but I know him. He's my everything. He's my treasure. I orient my whole life around him. And then he says, to mature manhood or just maturity. Those are not separate things. The unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and mature manhood are two ways of saying the same thing. And then a third thing, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's where we're moving, students. We're, we're moving towards maturity. We're moving towards knowledge of Christ. We're moving towards being filled with Christ. We're moving towards greater unity in our faith. That's the goal. The goal is not we want to look better than other churches. The goal is not we want to be arrogant and proud in front of people who go to churches that we think aren't as solid as ours. The goal is not I want to set myself up for a long-time career of success and notoriety and whatever. This is the goal of the church to attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the full measure of the stature of Christ. That's your goal. That's my goal. That's our goal together. Why? Why is that our goal? Paul gives us a reason. Verse 14, so that, 
we may no longer be children. Now in one sense, all of us are children. In one sense, all of us see it, but we don't see it. We hear it, but we don't hear it. We understand, but we don't comprehend. We, we want to know these things and want to do these things, but we often get distracted, right? My son does this all the time. You like tell him to do something, he'll start doing something and then he'll notice something else and he'll be like, no, I'm doing this thing now. And it's not like a, I'm actively looking for ways to disobey the task my mom and dad has given me. It's just like his brain doesn't know how to hold these two things together. He, can, he only has so much capacity for one thing at a time, right? In a lot of ways, we're the same way. It's easy for us in this moment, as you're hearing me teach from Ephesians 4 to go, yeah, walking in unity is very important. Walking in unity is a goal that we should have. We should be doing this together. I need to be, and you might even be thinking about stuff in your head of, I need to be faithful to pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. I need to be faithful to encourage them. Even when it's even when it doesn't seem necessary. I might have an unprovoked opportunity to just encourage one of you brothers or sisters. It's easy for us to be dialed in to what is right in front of us in this text. But somebody's going to say something you don't want to hear in like three hours. And you're going to lose it. And, and all the things that you've said are good and right and true and honorable and something to, to move forward with, or you're going to throw it out the window because we're children. So somebody's going to say something to you that's, that's mean or disrespectful, or someone's going to not acknowledge you the way that you wanted to be acknowledged or the way that you expect to be acknowledged. And you're going to take some kind of personal offense and it's going to erode everything that you've just heard. Don't do that. Don't be tossed to and fro, carried by the waves and every wind of doctrine. Don't be carried along by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Don't you see that's not just natural. Our enemy is not flesh and blood, and the enemy would love to get you distracted from what we're talking about this morning by reminding you of, well, we used to be really good friends and now she doesn't talk to me anymore. So I don't have to be nice to her. Or I don't feel like I have anything good to say to that person, so I'm just not going to say anything at all and I'm never going to think about it and I'm never going to approach it and I'm never going to address it. Or... Yeah, we've got problems, but I've been the bigger person and I've reached out before and they've never reached out, so I'm not doing anything until they do. Or I feel hurt by something somebody said six years ago or six months ago or six days ago or six minutes ago, and so I'm going to feel liberty to take vengeance into my own hands and do something that I, God forbid, think is just. When you do this, you are saying, I don't really want the body of Christ to be built up in love. I want to cut it. I want to wound Christ's body because I think it'll make me feel better. I need you to see that that is insanity and it is wickedness. 
It is not your place to get even. It is not your place to pursue vengeance. It's not your place to get revenge. Look at verse 15. Rather, rather than being tossed to and fro by all of these things, rather than being led by the deceitfulness of your heart, rather than being led by the wickedness that your mind thinks is good at times. And I'm not just saying this to you. Let's be clear. I'm saying this to me. This is, this is not a teenage Lakeview youth problem. This is a human problem. But we're all humans here. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So Christ is the head. He is the source of our power. He's the source of our life. He's the authority over all that we say and do. From whom? So from Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, that is when all of us are doing all that we have committed to do to walk in unity by the grace of Christ, under the authority of Christ, empowered by the spirit of Christ, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Our commitment has to be by the grace of Jesus, I want to build up the body and I want to build up the body in love. I don't want to build up the body so that that person won't be mean to me anymore. I don't want to build up the body so that I might be seen as spiritually mature. I want to build up the body because Jesus loves me and he has afforded me the opportunity to love people who are sometimes unlovely because I was unlovely. And Jesus gave me his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy and his care. And he's growing me. He's forming me into himself. And he's now seen fit to use me to do the same thing with brothers and sisters around me. We are building one another up in love. And we can do this. Or... We can practice self-harm. Because when I cut another member of the body, it's my body too. So when I think I'm getting even, I'm just wounding myself. When I think I'm trying to make things, make myself seem to be whatever, cutting my own body. And it's not even my body. It's Christ's body. So I want to pray. You don't have a ton of time left. Surprise, surprise. I got to tell you, my, my hope and my prayer rooted in the, the grace of Jesus is that you would know with great clarity that in your sin, in your wickedness, in your failures, 
just like mine, my sin, my weakness, my failures. You need to know with absolute confidence the truth of this passage, the truth of this letter, the truth of this Bible. Jesus is not mad at you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You haven't disappointed God. He's not looking down from heaven with a frown on his face. He lives to delight in you. And he's inviting you to bring your brokenness to him. Because those wounds that you have, he, the great physician, might heal them. But he might heal them through another person in this room. So your rock-solid confidence in the gospel I pray, leads you to feel the weight of how we live with one another, how we treat one another, and that person that you can't stand, that person that is unlovely to you, may be the member of the body of Christ who God has seen fit to bring healing to your soul. But it's going to require this commitment that with humility, and gentleness and patience. We're going to walk together in unity. We're going to bear with one another in love. We're going to commit to to the idea that there is never a good reason. There's never a good reason to be unkind. Like it baffles me at times. Baffles me. I know that I've made a commitment as a minister of the gospel to never be surprised by sin. Because I know my own heart. But I got to tell you, it baffles me at times that we think it's a good idea to be unkind to one another. There's no place. There's forgiveness. There's grace. But there's no place. So let me pray. We'll spend some time discussing this in your groups. And I, I just urge you, every single one of you, you may not want to talk about it in your group. You may not want to share your, your junk with everybody around the table. But, but please do not miss this opportunity to say, today, today, I know that there's someone that I've done wrong by or there's somebody who's, been, who's done wrong to me. And by God's grace, I want to try to make it right And guys, that might just mean you owning some stuff and taking some responsibility and and apologizing. And it may not get fixed today. But a trillion years from now, you're not going to look back and go, man, what a waste of time that I tried to like walk in unity and love a person. Don't believe that that might be true now. You know it won't be true then. Let me pray.